0: It's Brian, your lunatic friend again. Like every grandpa, telling my story about the good old days. In 1986, I would be touring my brains out again, doing the Holy Rollin' project. I did a lot of screaming in the studio on that title track, Holy Rollin'. Just a little too much James Brown. And it never occurred to me that I would be on tour screaming that five days a week. And after just a few weeks, I would tear my voice up, singing that song. And I would develop something called vocal nodes. Think of it as a callus on your hand, except it's on your vocal cords. And then they don't rub together correctly Not with a callus in the middle And by the end of that tour I was looking at the possibility of surgery on my voice And that's when I met Ron Anderson A vocal coach Searching for ways to avoid surgery He called my surgeon And made a running bet That he could get rid of the vocal nodes without surgery Ron had mentioned That he'd worked with a lot of rock singers Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses was one of them So that was the beginning of three years of voice maintenance Where I would drive to Hollywood And do vocal exercises with Ron Anderson First thing he did was have me do vocal scales to find where the node was yep it was about an octave and a half above middle C first he would show me a technique to sing around the vocal node so that I could keep singing concerts while I worked on it he would also show me warm-up exercises using varying note patterns the first one was funny it was blubbering <laughs> I'd go up and down the scale like that. It would massage the vocal cords. I remember doing that exercise on the way home from the lessons, and I would run through them driving around town. I saw a couple of people laughing at me once. I guess they assumed that I was driving my car and it wasn't making enough noise. It had to look really funny watching that from a grown man behind the wheel. But you didn't blubber the whole time when you're doing warm ups. You'd start doing scales in full voice, and the arpeggios would start getting more complicated. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a pain, but it'd be getting surgery on your throat. In the next year or two, I would learn about voice maintenance and how to recover from voice fatigue and any other problems that would happen every week, like singing on the road without any sleep or in dry climates. Ron was almost as expensive as surgery, but he was well worth the time and the money. And looking back now, I should have spent some money on uh, getting some advice for what to wear on stage. On the Holy Rollin' Tour, I had taken my cues from a group called Bay City Rollers. They were flamboyant, dressed in stripes and plaids, it's almost clown-like. And being alone on stage most of the time, I just felt like I needed to be more colorful. I was thinking of the colors red and yellow, black and white, like in that song. I had this one outfit that I wore all the time. I put it together myself. Shopping around, I found a yellow and black plaid jacket. And I wore a red shirt with a yellow tie and skin-tight black leather pants with bright yellow wrestling shoes. And nobody would miss me on stage. But one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had came when I was going to a concert that was only an hour away from my house. So I just went dressed for for the gig. But without thinking, I stopped at a 7-Eleven to get some throat lozenges. There was a rowdy construction crew in the store when I walked in, just getting off work, and they were all cutting up, along with a few other shoppers. But as soon as I walked in, it got real quiet, and I went to the counter and paid for my cough drops and started to walk out. But not before one guy standing behind me sings, "Oh, and everyone burst out laughing. I didn't even look back, but that was the day that I had realized I had taken it a bridge too far. And it wasn't the only way that I was over compensating for my insecurities. In the song Holy Rollin' I'd start out with a gospel two-step that I was familiar with in Pentecostal church. I would dance around like an absolute maniac by the end of the song. Sometimes I'd even fall on the floor, start rolling around. At first it was kind of on purpose, but the more maniac I became, I started falling backwards over monitors, tripping over microphone cables, knocking over equipment, and not all of it was planned. When I finally fell off the stage into the orchestra pit and messed up my back and sprained my ankle, I just I decided I might need to be more of a Methodist than a Pentecostal. Now, after touring two records, I started to realize that I had an addiction. I remember where I was when I realized I needed to make a change. I was sitting in a light in the turning lane on the corner of Madison and Magnolia when I admitted that I was addicted to the swing button on the drum machine. I had an unmanageable amount of 6-8 grooves on my records. I was turning left when I came to believe that the most popular songs on the radio always landed on the 2 and the 4, probably so white people can find a place to clap. At the same time, I was thinking about how cut and paste my religion sounded, breaking it down into little sound bites of simplicity. Seemed like in CCM, you never heard anybody singing about the challenges of daily faith and wondering if God's promises were going to work out. And I was aware that in the real world, Christian musicians were kind of discounted. And I started to think, probably because they sound like a Tupperware salesman, a little too quick with the right answer to the relentless testing that life brings. I know that was true for me. Growing up in church, I would look back and say I was given all the answers before I I had the questions and I was less than a mile down Madison Avenue when I was writing a new song and it was straight up and down rhythmically. I spent my time between the answers and I'd swear there's nothing leaves you more alone tracing my faith through fact and fiction and before I even got home I had a song and I knew what direction my next record should go in. Whistling in the Dark would start this record and the last song would end with You're Never Alone. My songwriting would be more of a path than just platitudes. This would become a significant change Changing in my thought process. God was speaking to me and he wasn't using a bolt of lightning. No, I was just sitting at a light minding my own business. But God was changing my paradigm. As a believer, I've always paid attention to what believers say, but I also study how people react to what you say. Your scripture might be right, but the delivery doesn't always have the impact you think it does. Yeah, I learned how to deliver the gospel using the four spiritual laws, and in high school, I even did door-to-door evangelism. But it was done like a sales pitch. You ignored whatever they said, and you stayed on task, bringing them to the point of their personal need, but it started to feel more like a numbers game than personal interaction with someone. It's a great thing to hear a sinner's prayer. It's like a miracle when it's honest, but being a light might be more impactful than shining a light. I met a woman this year who said that she had been following my music for 30 years. She said, the first song you sang, I accepted Jesus right then and there. And I could have said, wait, I haven't given you the four spiritual laws, but conversion is a matter of the heart more than the head. And nothing changes unless Jesus touches them. It's not you. Like a friend said, to me once, Brian, anything you can talk somebody into, the devil can talk them out of. I find a lot more peace when I just follow Jesus and let him handle the agenda. And sometimes he won't even tell me what we're doing, because I sure didn't see this podcast coming or telling my old stories. And who would have thought a singer would start doing two-minute antagonistic devotions? And yet here you and me are, resonating with what has stood the test of time. Nutshell Sermons is free, and there's no subscription fee to follow Jesus either. And talking to you in this format has given me a purpose I didn't see coming. Thanks for supporting what you believe in.